the spring to prove it. Here's my wedding ring. I always think of my blushing groom whenever I see the pansies bloom. Oh, no! Say it cannot be. Queer things are happening to me. We're coming out of the closet and onto the silver screen. Welcome to Gays Only Cinema, the podcast where all the movies we discuss are rated G for gay. But also, most of them are rated R because they're gay. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, on this uh, podcast, we're just going to be discussing a lot of gay movies. Uh, for a bit of background, since this is our first episode, uh, I'm Teddy. I'm g- one of your hosts. Uh, I'm a butch lesbian. Uh, over the past couple of years, I've kind of made it a major hobby of mine to watch as many possible obscure <laughs> and low-budget gay movies as I can possibly find out there on the internet. So I've become something of a self-styled gay cinema expert. You're just like an like RPG hero searching for all the side quests. Yeah, like exactly. The most obscure ones, yeah. <laughs> and yet there are some of the most mainstream ones that I still have yet to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just like playing Skyrim, not doing the main quest, oh, just sure, doing yeah. all the side quests. <laughs> but I have um, fun. Yeah. Uh, and I'm uh, Saya. Uh, I'm a trans man. Uh, and bisexual, I guess. Yeah, we both uh, enjoy discussing things like movies and literary analysis and getting really yes. down in the weeds about it. Yeah. So uh, we thought we would have fun discussing movies on a podcast so that's what we're doing <laughs> yes and we're starting with uh, bound from yes it's from the 90s it's from when is it from it 1996 oh it's the year so, i was born okay three years after i was born yes <laughs> but uh no it's uh yeah the movie's called bound it's actually by the wachowskis and uh, but it's from before the Matrix, so it's kind of before the big hit that they became well known for. And Bound is actually surprisingly kind of obscure, considering both the big names that made it and also how incredibly well done it is. Like in terms of production quality, yeah. As far as like I bad game movies, I watch. Yeah. yeah, it's really good. Yeah, what was your impression of it in that in that regard? I was just, um, you know how people always talk about how they want gay movies that aren't just about being gay? And I feel like this is the thing they actually sort of mean by that. You know, it's, you know, it's not about, you know, coming out or coming to terms with identity or anything, but it is, it's not incidental that they are gay either, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's really cool how they have like a real sense of like community. Yeah, in the yeah. movie, like the gay characters don't exist in a void. They're not just people who they're not just women who happen to like women. Like they're clearly they clearly exist in and understand themselves in a framework of a lesbian community that I think is really uh, a cool aspect of this. But yeah, the movie isn't about that. The movie is a mob thriller. It's like a crime thriller. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of like really classic noir stuff in it. You know, oh yeah, absolutely. Because when you talk about the community stuff, like, um, it's basically using a, a lesbian bar as you know, the regular bar you have in a noir movie for the detective or whatever to go into. 
Yep. It's the exact yep. same function it gets to serve, which is interesting, I think. Yeah, I definitely agree. And yeah, just um, we're going to give some just general impressions first, and then we're going to do a spoiler break and get into like the nitty gritty. But we're going to do that break in case anyone listening wants to go watch the movie themselves first and then come back and listen to our discussion. But yeah, for, for my overall like non-spoilery impression, I'd say, yeah, it's just a really solid, good, noir mob crime thriller that if that's the sort of thing you enjoy, you'll probably enjoy this, especially yeah. even more so the fact that it's about lesbians. So plus, uh, because this is important to some people, uh, I will just say in a in a vague sense, it does have a happy ending. I won't get into any more specifics than that before the spoiler break. But if that's something you're concerned about with with gay movies, then this one does end happily for the main couple. Yeah, it's it's not one of those, you know, 90s movies. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's pretty different from what you usually see from that period, I think. Or just oh, from yeah. gay movies in general, I mean. Definitely. it's It really occupies a unique position. I think both both historically in terms of, yeah, 90s films and in terms of uh, gay cinema. Yeah. Uh, do you have any more thoughts, any more non-spoilery thoughts? I think a lot of my thoughts are very spoilery. So. Okay. We probably should just get into it then. Yeah. Okay. So if you don't want to be spoiled for the movie before you watch it yourself, jump off now, go watch it, and come back. Okay. It's so, a good movie. It's such a good movie. Oh, I, I love it so much. <laughs> you should go watch it. <laughs> you should go watch it. Or you can listen to us discuss it and then go watch it. Because I know yeah. personally, I'm someone who's not very concerned with spoilers. Oh, so I don't same. really mind yeah. Yeah, knowing same. ahead of time. But anyway, okay. So I do have extensive notes. We're we're going to sort of go through the plot, uh, the movie beat by beat a bit. But also like probably have a bunch of tangents about, you know, editing and uh, themes etc etc i'm sure we'll get off track but <laughs> i'm sure yeah. although actually like while i'm thinking about it an interesting note about the editing specifically is that it actually is the same editor as the matrix too oh that's it that is interesting it's got that really stylish editing style you know yeah yeah, yeah. uh which is kind of relevant to the opening part of the movie because it opens with sort of a bit of a flash forward of uh, one of the women already like tied up on the ground and kind of beaten up. And there's uh, a few cut-ins of different voice lines that will happen throughout the movie that kind of give, I guess, a little bit of an overview of what's to come. So you're establishing right at the beginning sort of what sort of movie it is with the like sort of violence that's implied, but also some sort of romantic overtones with the voiceover and that sort of thing. Um, but interestingly enough, after that, for the first like half hour of the movie, it's straight up like a romance. Yeah, I, I think this. Yeah, uh, you get the flash forward that sort of um, sets the scene for what it's going to be later. Because without that, you would have a very different expectation from just the opening of the movie. Exactly, because you get a, you get a full like half an hour of just uh, the two main women whose names are Corky and Violet. Uh, which I would also just like to point out, Corky is such a good butch lesbian name. It's such a name. good name, yes. 
<laughs> you really gotta love it. You gotta appreciate a name like Corky. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, the, like she just fits the names so well. I mean, oh my god. It's like, so I, true. I would be if I'd seen this movie as a teenager, I would have been obsessed with her. Like. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, big time. Yeah. And like, yeah, just so they so they meet in an elevator is the first sort of main scene of the film like yeah. after it does its little if, flash after the forward. very artsy yeah flash forward yeah and they like are totally you know eyeing each other in the elevator like it's already extremely flirty and sexually charged from the second they, they view each other <laughs> but it's interesting because uh they're in this elevator it's it's quirky and violet but it's also caesar who's one of the other main characters of this film who's violet's boyfriend kind of and yeah, long-term uh, boyfriend yeah yes so so violet is like essentially making cruising eyes at corky while her boyfriend is next to her <laughs> <laughs> and just completely oblivious honestly oh just not noticing a thing about it no and i mean i don't it- think he i don't think he really notices anything violet does unless he has to yeah actually yeah, that's one of the uh, themes of the movie that I noticed that I found mm. really interesting is there's kind of this theme around uh, what's visible and what's invisible, like what people see and what they don't. Mm, yes. Because uh, both Corky and Violet get away with their like whole plan to steal from the mob so well for so long because they're both invisible to yes, all yeah. of the all of the men doing all of this like mob shit. It's mm. like because specifically because they're women like no one notices them and corky because she's a woman and also because she's a worker because she's there at the building to do some like maintenance work so just Mm. nobody pays attention to them at all until like they finally get caught and things get serious and scary (laughs) for a minute but that's down the line uh i think for this first like 20 minute or 30 minute like flirting scenes. I also think it's interesting to point out like the way that this movie explores butch femme dynamics. Yes. Because yes. like to, to, to give like a description of the characters you have Corky who's yeah. Who's extremely nineties butch. She's got the nineties butch uh, hairstyle with like her hair, her hair back and, and she's got uh she's wearing a white, tank top and she's yeah a maintenance worker with a truck and she's got a big labrys tattoo and on yes, her yeah on yes her i noticed the labrys tattoo as, like as one of the first things i was like oh of course yes okay we're doing this <laughs> oh yeah the the movie makes a very a very clear effort to highlight that tattoo yeah, very yeah, early yeah. on it's like <laughs> look at this look at that see that this is a lesbian this, this is one yes this is one whole lesbian yes because yeah elaborate is kind of like an old school symbol of lesbianism yeah like, uh, and unfortunately, it's like a axe yeah i mean it's one of those things that's unfortunately sort of associated with uh red films a bit these days but i think we should just ignore that and yeah not let them have it because it's cool yeah it's cool and also like in the 90s it wouldn't have had that same yeah, yeah, yeah. connotation at all anyway so, uh, but then, yeah, but then Violet is to me an especially fascinating character because she is like clearly super femme, uh, like classic, even femme fatale. Like that's the role that yes, she yes, plays yes. in the noir. 
Uh, she's got like I have a lot of thoughts about her. <laughs> okay, yes, <laughs> I'll describe her look and then we can get to your thoughts. Yeah, but yeah, she's got like uh, short curly hair, bright red lipstick, really well done makeup. That all is kind of like and like yeah, wears wears tight, sexy clothes, and overall kind of has sort of an old fashioned femme look, even even mm. for the nineties. Like the way she does her makeup and her hair, like is a major callback to like old school noir film. Like it wouldn't have felt out of place in like movies from like the forties or thirties, even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, and I, should, well, and I think that's you know one of the. I mean, she's so coded as a femme fatale as like. A very very classic Fembertel even um, that I was sort of you know wondering okay is her allegiance going to change at some point because that's the whole you know the whole thing uh, like Fembertel isn't trustworthy so when Corgi questions her about her motives it makes sense in that context but I feel like what the movie actually ends up doing is basically taking the idea of Fembertel and making that the main character yeah um, I definitely agree because I like we start with uh, Corky as a point of view character. She like we're supposed to think she's the main character in the first bit, but it becomes very clear that Violet is the main character, and then Corky is more like an introduction to her. Yeah, and it's it's uh, I think it's a really interesting subversion of the stereotypes of uh, Butch and Femme, as well mm. as like the stereotypes of uh, or, or like the tropes of noir because it, yeah it, it does it is very sort of a straightforward noir film while also like specifically and intentionally subverting a lot of noir tropes and it yeah, does exactly. the same thing with like gay cinema and also with butch femme dynamics because like and i think that probably makes it a lot more authentic to what butch and femme culture really were like mm. back then because like it to a modern audience, and I think even probably a bit to the 90s audience, the expected thing to see in film would be you would expect the butch character to be the sexually aggressive one and to be seducing the like femme character who may or may not actually be straight. But here, right from the get-go, the uh, aggressive, the sexually aggressive one is Violet. She's the one seducing Corky. And everything, like every moment that they have between each other is initiated by Violet. And it makes it very clear that Violet, like, knows what she wants, you know? Yeah. Which I think is really cool and interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because it's very much a rejection of the kind of, you know, the specific kind of... Uh homophobic trope where with a predatory lesbian uh, going f for you know a feminine woman or whatever it's very um intentionally not that exactly yeah which i think is really cool mm. um okay so back to the sort of summary of the plot so we have them flirting in the elevator and then we find out that corky is like doing some maintenance work in the apartment next door to the apartment where caesar and violet live and uh, Violet starts coming over to, and, like, offers Corky some coffee, is being very flirtatious, like, drops her earring down a drain to so she can call Corky over to, like, help her get <laughs> it, it out. It, it feels like a, a, you know, beginning of a porn uh, oh, yeah. almost. You know, like, oh, no, I lost my earring and, oh, you have to fix it. Oh, no, Corky, help me. Yes. 
And uh, another thing I find interesting throughout this is how much it, uh, like, through the editing and cinematography, it shows sort of what's being seen as attractive in this butch femme dynamic as it's being set up. Because there's a lot of emphasis put on Corky's hands Mm. and a lot of emphasis put on Violet's legs. Like, that's true. Yeah. It's very clearly sexually charged, but in a way that I find fascinating, you know? Uh, I just find the whole, uh, oh, you're good with your hands. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Kind of funny. Like, because, you know, she's fixing these things and Wildwick's uh, uh, comparing Corky to her dad. Um, and it's all very flirty. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, so then finally, like, Violet does, like, kind of get. Uh, Corky to like make out with her basically like start they start having sex on the couch in their in in Violet's apartment which is fun uh one just fun note from this is part of like what Violet does to uh seduce Corky here is shows this tattoo that she has on like the side of her boob you know mm just the thing that I found really funny with that is like in her like flirty way she's like Oh, you know, I had this lady in upstate New York do this tattoo for me, and it took her all day. I'm like, that's a tiny little tattoo of a flower that doesn't even have any shading. It's like block black. I'm like, there's no way that took all day. (laughs) It makes for a better story. It's true. Better flirting. I'm just like, that took maybe an hour or two at most. Like, that that was not a full day tattoo. Maybe it wasn't a real tattoo artist. Maybe it was just someone who she met who, you know, told her she could do oh, it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. But I yeah, just, yeah. you were talking about the whole uh, uh, the things that are hidden thing. Uh, and uh, I think that's also a contrast called to uh, Corky's tattoo being very obvious and uh, Violet's tattoo being hidden. Uh, that's true. That's a good that, point. Yeah, because... Yeah, uh, because Corky has her tattoo, like, on her bicep fully visible. And uh, Violet has her tattoo, like, in a very hidden, sort of intimate place. Yeah. So that definitely is a good point. Anyway, so so while they're, while they're having sex on the couch, the boyfriend, Caesar, walks in. Which causes them to scramble, of course. Mm. And uh, then another funny thing in this is that uh, Caesar gets mad because he's like, He's like, oh, no, what's a man doing in my apartment? It's getting it on with Violet. And I'm, I'm like, going to be so mad because she's stepping out on me. But the second he notices Corky's a woman, he's like, oh, okay. Oh, I misunderstood. Everything's fine. Yeah, yeah it, clearly, this could not be <laughs> what I think it was. No, no. Clearly. Yeah. <laughs> but then they introduce themselves uh, to each other and they shake hands. And it's really funny because there's this brief moment of hesitation that Corky has <laughs> yes. before... He shakes she sh- shakes Caesar's hand because it's it's the same hand yeah, she yeah. Was just banging Violet with. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that as well, yeah. Uh, oh. But yeah, but then later, sort of in the evening after Corky's done with work, Violet shows up in her car, basically, and uh they go they go home together and there's another extended sex scene, which uh I won't dwell on too long, but again, it's just another aspect of how it portrays the relationship between these two women, because uh, for this like longer sex scene, like in the first sex scene, 
Violet was like taking Corky's hand and like moving Corky's hand for her and stuff, but she was still sort of the on the receiving end, you know? Yeah, but yeah. In, in this scene, Violet's the one who's like being the active sexual partner. Uh, Corky's the one on the receiving end. It's very much like, it feels like kind of a deliberate. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that yeah. as well because you usually, you know, see this very binary idea of it, especially with, you know, two partners who are very uh, butch and femme uh, in those ways. So I thought it was interesting that they made a point to, you know, show that they were both uh, going to be the active partner or whatever. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it also feels like uh, it's very deliberately trying to say that Violet, like, isn't a pillow princess. Mm. You know, like it that that's a particular stereotype of femme women that I feel like mm. this is meant to be going against. But also, I think it's also showing that Corky like has her own sexual needs and stuff. So I just I don't know. I just I like their dynamic a lot. I think it's yeah, really yeah. after after that sex scene, they start talking because like at, at this point, it's already been established in earlier scenes that Corky is an ex-con. She's been in jail for five years up to this point, which uh, after during this discussion, she tells Violet that she did what she did time for was the redistribution of wealth. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> uh, direct uh, such a good line. Yeah. Such a good line. But uh, clearly the, the implication is stealing. Mm. But uh, yeah, so yeah, Corky's just really happy uh after this like she's like singing on her way to work the next day not actually but like the implication is that that she's Mm. like on cloud nine she's super happy until like uh she sees this man on the phone outside of the apartment building like begging with violet to come up and see her in which case corky like clearly is unhappy at this like because she's she sees there's another man going for violet you know Mm. and Clearly, it's more jealous than she's willing to admit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There also is a sense that uh, Corky's, frankly, kind of biphobic. Yes, yes. Um, I thought, yeah, because I think it's actually a pretty useful thing, both in, you know, fiction and in real life, to have these sort of things that are really about other things, like they're about her jealousy, but they can express in a biphobic way. Yeah, that's true. But it does lead to what I think is honestly one of the most interesting scenes mm. in the film, which is uh, when after after this guy goes to see Violet and then leaves, Corky and uh, Violet are together again. And Corky's like clearly unhappy about something. And they get into this fight that I think is just... It's, it's one of the best scenes, yeah. It's such a good scene. It's so cool because of how specifically and deliberately it rejects certain notions and certain stereotypes and also like what an incredibly progressive view it espouses on sex work Mm, yeah that i think is really cool because yeah corky's like like all pissy and is mad and violet's like okay so what are you mad about and corky's like oh well you know we're just we're different that's it so you wouldn't get it because we're different with the implication being that like oh, I'm a lesbian and you sleep with men. So you're not a lesbian. So you wouldn't get how I feel, you know, but Violet actually, I mean, that wouldn't even be how it worked either way, but okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, that's a, 
the one thing is that even if Violet was bisexual, like that clearly wouldn't actually matter the way that Corky is talking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do but, still find you know, it. She's being, she's being jealous. Yeah. Yeah, she's just being jealous. But I do still find it clearly uh, really interesting how strongly Violet still identifies as a lesbian. Yeah. Even yeah. though she does sleep with men because she makes it very clear. She's like, oh, we're actually, we're actually the same. And, uh, and, and Violet insists that they're not that different. And Corky's like, okay, so you're going to say you don't have sex with men then. And uh, like, I heard it through the walls because the walls are very thin. You can hear a lot of noise through them. And Violet's like, oh, what we had wasn't sex. What you heard wasn't sex. And so Corky's, what the fuck was it? And uh, Violet just says work. Yeah, which, I, I love that so much. Yeah. It's so good. It's like you find out her history is basically of working at, uh, like it's implied to be stripped clubs. Yeah. And um, she's been dating Caesar for five years ever since he took over her club. And uh, he like, you know, pays her way and stuff, essentially. So she considers that relationship to be like work, her job. And also anything she does with other men is like her job, but it's not what she actually cares about. And she has this whole speech to Corky about how like, okay, so you found something you were good at and you did it and you made a living off of that. And then you've like paid a price for it. Like talking about how Corky went to jail for being a thief, basically. And she's like, I also had something I was good at and I didn't mind doing it and I made a living off of it. Mm. And, uh, you know, we all make our own choices and we pay our own prices. We face our own consequences for our decisions. It's such a good line. Yeah. It's so good. She's like, yeah, yeah my sex work is no different from your thieving. Which also, also, yeah, that... also criminalized work, you know? Yes. Yes. But yeah, but the implication even in that comparison isn't that like both of these are like no 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 yeah bad evil things to do the implication is just that they're both jobs yeah that carry a risk and that uh you can make a living off of which yeah i just think that whole scene is just really cool and everything violet says in that scene is really cool and most things violet says throughout the Violet's movie is just really, really cool, cool. <laughs> honestly um and also because i mean it's a very real thing to you know a lot of sex workers are queer in different ways uh, so it's not i mean it's it's not an uncommon thing what uh what violet is describing um but it's also not the sort of thing you see portrayed in fiction very often um, oh yeah it's very true a lot of uh a lot of sex workers are queer and also in like historically especially when it was less acceptable to like live openly as a queer person a lot of queer people were sex workers. Like for mm. a lot of history, there was a there were reasons why a lot of queer people turned to sex work to make a living, you know? Mm. And yeah, that was something the the version of the movie I have actually comes with an essay written by someone who <laughs> was part of the scene back then. And yeah, she even points out in the essay that that was extremely familiar to lesbians of the day mm. because like like she personally even knew a lot of lesbians who who did stuff like working in strip clubs or d- doing sex work that sort of thing was was a very common part of the scene you know yeah i i mean the movie generally feels like an insider perspective which is you know because it's interesting i've been wondering whether it would have been perceived as such at the time because of the Wachowski's not being out at that point uh 
because I mean it does I mean I mean because you also have these sort of lesbian gays let's call them uh shots where I'm also interested in like I'm wondering how that was perceived at the time yeah it's it's really interesting because that's uh part of what I find interesting about that essay is because it is talking a lot about how it was perceived at the time mm. and uh there did seem to have been a sense from the community that this is a uh, movie being made by men. This is a movie being made by outsiders. And so it, it was seen as like kind of an outside perspective, but also like a lot of the people who saw it at the time were like begrudgingly surprised by how authentic <laughs> it seemed. And yeah, the, in the essay even is like looking back on it now, it's, it's obvious why it was more of an insider perspective, but apparently they also had like consultants on the film yes, who that would were, have helped. yeah, yeah, who were more involved in like the lesbian sex scene and stuff too. And uh, in the essay, it gets into how like one of the Wachowskis was actually already transitioning, like at this time, Damn. but just like outside of the view of the world, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there were already, like, rumors about it in some queer spaces. So some people kind of, there were whispers of, of it at the time. But uh, mostly it was seen as being an outsider perspective. Which now, of course, like, for, for those who might be confused listening to this, who might not know the history, uh, both of the Wachowski siblings who are the famous directors are both trans women. They both have now uh, transitioned. Which, at the time, neither of them had, so... Well, not like officially in the public yeah, view. Yeah, transitioned and been uh, come out about it uh, to yes, the public. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's it's fascinating because it's this movie that was made by quote unquote men at the time that feels very authentic to the experience of queer women, but then you find out years down the line it was actually made by a couple of closeted queer women. So. Yeah, and it's like, well, okay. <laughs> That oh, makes yeah. sense then. Yeah. That would that would be why it feels authentic. Yeah. But But I also I mean it's also um I mean obviously when I watched it, I watched it with that knowledge. But if I had watched it before uh they'd both been out or even before uh well just one of them was out and like it it would have been a different experience. Oh yeah, um, definitely. So it's just interesting kind of, you know, how much of uh, perceiving it in this way is just the knowledge that there is an insider perspective to some extent. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But either way, I still feel like it would feel more authentic compared to a lot of yes, yes. like mainstream lesbian depictions. Yes, like I mean, it doesn't even... feel exploitative. I mean, this, I mean, the sex yeah. scenes feel sexy, but they don't feel sexy for you know. For for the um, in a consumptive way, if that makes any sense. No, I absolutely agree. It's like incredibly like sexual and sexy, but in a but yeah, not in a way that feels gross or exploitive or for the male gaze. It's it's it feels authentic. It feels intimate mm. in a way that is like emotionally charged and not just like not just supposed to be titillating. You know. Mm. Because I think it's a balance to strike to, you know, because it's like, I mean, you know, we don't want things that are expressive, but we also don't want things that aren't allowed to be sexy at all, you know? So it's a sort of a balance to strike um, that I think this movie did really well. 
Oh, yeah. I definitely strongly agree. Uh, interestingly enough, to me, it's similar to another uh, lesbian thriller in that way, which is The Handmaiden. Yes, I have assumed that you were going to mention that. Yeah. Of course. But yeah, because <laughs> The Handmaiden was made by a man, which uh, in some ways it's like, yeah, maybe less authentic. It's less grounded in a sort of queer culture in some ways. But also it does feel like the characters at least feel more authentic. And the the sexuality in The Handmaiden is similar to me because to me it feels like, oh, this is sexy and sexually charged and exciting. But it doesn't feel, yeah, again, it doesn't feel exploitive to me in The Handmaiden. It just feels, it's just fun. So. Yeah, and I mean, the, the Handmaiden is also based on a book by a lesbian, at least. That's so, true. You know, there's a degree of uh, insider perspective. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to do a, another episode on The Handmaiden someday. For sure, but... yeah. <laughs> um, but we were, yes, uh, I had another thought about uh, that scene between them that we were talking about. Um, yes. Because, um, yeah, uh, Violet uh, gets pretty annoyed at Corky um, for, because Corky is basically like, oh, uh, you're not, we're not alike. Um, I know who I am. You don't know who you are. Uh, you know, again, the old biphobic thing that kind of gets applied to her here. Uh, and uh, what Violet says is, I, I know who I am I, and I don't have to, you know, brand myself with it by having a giant tattoo uh, that's you know, shows it to the world. I because I know it in my head. Um, oh, yeah. And I thought that was really interesting because, I mean, obviously she's trying to be hurtful to some extent, but I also find it, uh, I mean, true to some degree that the more, I mean, at least for me, the more comfortable I've been with myself, the less I've, you know, felt the need to put pins all over myself or, or bracelets or whatever with pride flags. I mean, those things are still fun and stuff, and I liked it too, but it's also an interesting uh, conversation in that way. Yeah, oh, I definitely agree. That was a really interesting part as well. And I think that is probably the case for a lot of queer people, that like as we become more comfortable with ourselves, we feel the need to advertise it less. Yeah. But also in some ways, like at least me personally, I'm more obviously queer than ever just because I dress so butch. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's but, your way of being comfortable with yourself, you know? Yeah, that is that is me being comfortable with myself. But uh, yeah, I also so that... think there's a difference between, you know, certain fashions being perceived as queer and, you know, the, the usage of symbols in a very uh, overt way. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah. So at the end of the scene, they both kind of make some jabs at each other. Like you said, uh, Corky makes a jab at, uh, at Violet about like, yeah, about her sex work, basically, in a really mean way. But then Corky makes a jab. I mean, then Violet makes a jab at Corky about her being a thief and stuff. And she's like, don't steal anything on the way out, you know. <laughs> and then yeah. sort of after this little fight, this is when the mob plot shows up. So now we've already, like, established that, you know, Corky's a thief. Um, we've established that Caesar works for the mob and he's specifically a money launderer. And uh, then sort of as Corky is leaving after this fight, she sees uh, she sees Johnny arrive with Shelly. So Shelly was the guy who showed up earlier, who was begging to talk to Violet. 
And Johnny is the son of an important mob guy. And so they've they've arrived and uh, they've got Shelly basically like captured. So they bring her, they bring him to Caesar's apartment and they start torturing him basically because you find out that Shelly's slowly stolen a bunch of money from the mob and the mob has caught him. And so they're torturing him to find out where the money is. And uh, they do eventually, like, get it out of him. But Corky, like, in the apartment next door can kind of hear this torture going on and is, like, more aware of all this stuff than I think any of the mob guys are aware of her existence. I have to go back just a second. Looking through my notes. (laughs) It's a very gross uh, scene. Yes. The the torture scene is very gross. Because they... they... But they threaten to cut off a finger uh, for each time he doesn't answer them um, about where the money is. Yes. Which is yeah. used as a foreshadowing for a later scene. And we also establish in this scene that Johnny is like really kind of violent and like a bit unhinged and Caesar hates him. Yeah, they can't stand each other. Yeah, yeah those are all important details from this. Uh, and there's also, there's Mickey here, who's uh, sort of a higher up guy in the mob than either Johnny or or Caesar. And he lets Violet leave because Violet wants to leave while this torture is happening. But Caesar doesn't want her to leave. But Mickey can override Caesar and lets her lets her go. So Violet goes next door to where Corky is. And then they go to a bar together. And this is where Violet starts to lay out like sort of what the plot of the rest of the movie is going to be. Because she explains what happened with Shelly that he got caught. She, uh, she explains how like, um, like I think an important part of the scene is that she says that Shelly wasn't afraid of Caesar. But she says it like he was never afraid of Caesar because he didn't know him like I yeah, he was. He, he was supposed to be, but he wasn't. He didn't have enough knowledge to be basically. Yeah. And up to this point, like, even the audience sees Caesar as kind of being a loser. Like, that's the way he's set up, is that he's kind of like a low-level loser mob guy, kind a of a A bit useless, yeah. Yeah, a bit useless, a bit nerdy. Uh, but here we're starting to see that, like, according to Violet, who knows him really well, no, he's actually really scary. And uh, but Violet says that she wants out now. She does. She doesn't want to have to live with Caesar anymore. She doesn't want to have to deal with all this violence and mob stuff. She wants to get out and she wants Corky to help her. And her whole plan is that they will steal the money that Shelly stole from the mob and then escape with it. So their whole plan is time heist time. They're going to steal from the mob. Incredibly dangerous. And like they discuss the plan out in Corky's car and like one thing that was really interesting in this discussion to me in the car is that Corky, like like you mentioned earlier, Corky basically lays out what the classic femme fatale plot would be. Like she says it outright. She's mm. like, if you wanted to do this, if if this was your plan all along, you could have set up Shelly to take the fall for initially, like have have set him up to get caught. And then you could set me up to get caught and uh, like you need and someone then you would have the money. Yeah. And then you would have the money. You would get away scot-free. And in a classic noir with a classic femme fatale, that would have been her plan all along was to betray them because the femme fatale is always planning to betray everyone. Mm. But this specifically subverts that because 
But even at this point, even at this point, I like, I was still doubting her a bit, you know, I was still wondering if there was going to be a twist, because that's what you're, you know, supposed to expect from this sort of character. Um, Not necessarily that she would uh, betray Corky, but I was wondering, okay, is there going to be some, uh, some revelation about her allegiance that's different from what we've been told so far? Yeah, you're set up to expect it just because of the type of character she is. But yeah, they also say in this scene that like uh, Corky has this whole hilarious speech about how stealing is like sex. (laughs) (laughs) Corky is a whole character. Corky is so fun. But yeah, she she has like, oh, the difference, like after her whole speech, she's like, the difference is I can fuck someone I just met. But to steal, I need to know someone like I know myself. (laughs) Very dramatic, yeah very dramatic violet's like do you think you know me like that it's all very fun it's again it's very flirtatious, I, I mean i love every the, part of it i love a lot of the dialogue in in this movie just because it's very dramatic very over the top um in, in like a very tropey way um it's which i enjoy it's yeah it's so extra but it's so much fun yeah every single line is ridiculous but in the best way possible <laughs> And also Violet, just her intonation never really changes. She's always just like sultry. And like, even when she's supposed to be shocked, she doesn't really change her voice that much. It's true. No, I love her like, her like sexy breathy voice that she has the whole time. No matter what's happening, it's the same voice. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's so good though. Okay. But yeah. But here's where they start setting up the plan. And I do think the editing in this whole like second half of the film is really interesting because they tend to sort of intercut sort of things that are going on in the quote unquote present with the the heist like already in motion with mm. like these shots of them planning the heist. So you kind of get a combination of the plan and the reality like happening sort of at the same time. And yeah, like against each other. Basically them explaining what they're going to do and then you see them doing it. Yep. Yep. Koki uh, uses her uh, earrings for um, like lockpicking tools, which is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I um, seriously I, love that so much. Yes. <laughs> like, why isn't that every like rogue character and everything ever? I mean, that's yeah. amazing. Honestly. Uh, they they really lovingly show it in the editing too, with her like putting all of the lock picks in all of her earring holes because she has like a bunch of piercings yeah, in yeah. one ear. Just has the lock picks lined up in her ear. It's, <laughs> it's so cool. It's so sexy. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I love that part so much. Yeah, but yeah, to to give a general overview of what the plan is, is because Caesar is like the money launderer, so he's the one who has to like get the money back from Shelley like count it and then uh, hand it back to the mob. And so their plan is to steal it while Caesar has it before the mob gets it back. And uh, Corky comes up with this whole plan to essentially frame Johnny for the theft to Caesar, like make Caesar think that Johnny took it. Use the fact that they hate each other uh, to make him believe that he took it. Exactly. And then uh, the theory is that Caesar will then run away because he knows that the mob will blame him and then the mob will blame him and Corky and Violet will get away scot-free because Caesar will think Johnny took it and the mob will think Caesar took it. And uh, they actually do pretty successfully get that far. Uh, Although the first major wrench in their plan is the fact that uh, when they were getting the money, Johnny 
shot Shelly, and so the money is covered in blood. <laughs> and Caesar's but like that whole really scene mad about of it. them cleaning the blood. Yes, there's a, a lot. Yes, yeah. Caesar has to clean all of the money and then hang it up to dry, <laughs> which is wild to watch. Yeah, <laughs> just the whole apartment covered in in drying money. Yes. And then, so so their plan to, like, frame Johnny works well because, uh, yeah, Violet intentionally drops this, like, bottle of booze that was meant for the mob boss and then goes out to buy new booze while simultaneously letting Corky into the apartment. And then Corky steals the money and replaces it with newspaper in, in the, like, case where the money is being uh, stored. And then Corky arrives back and is like, oh, did I miss the mob people who are here to c- pick up the money? Oh, like, I saw, I saw Johnny. On the street. Oh. Yeah, I saw Johnny in the parking lot. I can't believe I missed him. So then Caesar like goes to check the box and sees that the money is gone. He's absolutely convinced Johnny stole it to fuck him over and to get him in trouble with the mob. And so this is like, at this point, it's like, oh, it's gone perfectly. It's gone smoothly. Mm. But we only halfway is, through the movie. <laughs> we're only halfway through the movie. And uh, everyone has clearly underestimated just how insane and dangerous Caesar is because he completely loses his mind at this point. And he's like, no, I'm not going to run away because that's what Johnny wants me to do. And if I run away, then Johnny wins. So he catches this whole plan where he's like, oh, I have to get the money back. And if I get the money back, none of this will have ever happened. And like, I can screw over Johnny. And, and it's like, yeah. yeah, and he has no idea where the money is. He has no reason to think he has any ability to get it. But, you know, the, yeah. he, his uh, pride just can't take it. Um, yeah. 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 Violet even tries to tell him, like, you have no idea where the money, the money could be anywhere. And, but he's like convinced. He's like, no, it has to be nearby. He couldn't have gone far. Like, it has to be somewhere I can get it back. And so he, like, he basically forces Violet to stay. He even, like, at gunpoint, because Violet tries to just leave. But uh, Caesar is like, oh, but how do I know you weren't working with Johnny? And like forces her to stay and holds her at gunpoint. And uh, the eventually the mob people actually do show up. And uh, so it's Johnny and Johnny's father. And Johnny's father's like the really important mob guy. And then like I think another like low level guy show up. I think there's three guys, maybe four. But and so they have this whole tense conversation where Johnny is like, trying to give Caesar crap because Caesar punched him earlier. But Caesar thinks that they're really talking about how Johnny stole the money. And there's all this shit going on in the background. And uh, the like Gino, who's the important, the mob boss guy, Johnny's dad, like is trying to make peace between the two of them while there's just this insane level of tension all throughout this. And uh, then Johnny is flirting very aggressively with uh, Violet as well. Yes, of um, course, which is part of why Caesar thinks Violet is suspicious because Johnny's always flirting with the, with her. But yeah, so at, at some point, Caesar like loses it, forces Johnny to open the case and reveal that there's no money, tries to like get Johnny to reveal where the money really is. Of course, none of them know what's going on at all. Mm. Uh, and then Caesar straight up like kills all of them. <laughs> yep i mean that's one way to do it yeah that's one solution caesar yeah gino even like tries to take the gun away from caesar to be like okay calm down he tries so hard to de-escalate it and caesar just shoots him 
and then shoots everyone else and then keeps shooting even though he doesn't have any bullets left. Like, he yeah. is long gone at this point. And, you know, Violet tries to be like, okay, we really have to run now. And he's like, no, I can still fix this so I get the money. And she's like, it's like just no. killed Gino Marzoni. Yeah. <laughs> just killed... You think you're going to get away with this? And he's like, well, if we hide the bodies, then they never showed up and we can't get in trouble. And if we find the money, then again, we can't get in trouble. So he's still obsessed with just finding the money. And yeah, he, he just can't allow uh, Johnny to win uh, in this. Like he can't, like I f- he's very much putting his ego above his uh, survival. Uh. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, there's this whole funny extended sequence that it's not necessarily that much like thematic importance so i'll just skim through it but where cops show up because they heard they had reports of gunshots and they like put the hide the bodies in the bathtub and uh like pretend that it was just a loud tv that was the gunshots and a cop and the cops aren't they aren't even skeptical about this at all they're like oh it's so annoying that we got called out for this obviously it's just a tv and it's like um do you think you should check this at all or yeah, well, one yeah. of the cops even goes to the bathroom where the bodies are hidden and, like, uses the toilet and doesn't and notice, notice No, <laughs> just, It's like, I think it would smell a bit, maybe, but okay. Yeah, just some really dumb, oblivious cops, but yeah. it's very funny. An interesting thing, though, I think here is that while all this is going on, it actually would have been super easy for Corky to just take the money and leave herself. Because Corky is in the next apartment with the money. She has it. No one suspects her at this point. She could That's have true. just run. Yeah, yeah. She could have betrayed uh, Violet at this point if she wanted to. Yeah. It, it, there are several points throughout the movie where it would have been really easy for one of them to betray the other and get away with everything. But they never do. Mm. They always stay there. They always are there for each other and are determined to get away together, which I think is really cool. Yeah. And again, in, in terms of the Femme Patel thing, it's, you know... The trope uh, often implies that, uh, you know, the woman in, in question is just selfish and just, uh, you know, not out for anyone but herself. But then uh, in sort of making a femme the main character, you just, you sort of show her as having her own concerns in it. Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay, yeah, so at this point, uh, Caesar's running around trying to find the money now. He even goes over to, he like drags Violet over to Johnny's house, completely ransacks the place looking for the money. And then uh, like, he still can't find it, obviously, because Johnny didn't take it. Hmm. So he calls Mickey, who's that important mob guy from earlier, and just who, claims who really, that- Who likes Violet a lot, uh, oh, as yeah. noted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He really likes Violet. He helped Violet out later. I mean, earlier, but also later. Also later. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, uh, yeah, in this a, scene... You know, nice uh, nice sort of dad vibe, honestly. Yeah, yeah, it's true. But, yeah, so he claims that the important mob guys never showed up. And he makes this claim to, like, throw them off his trail, basically, uh, for having killed them all. <laughs> But so then they go back to the apartment and at this point, Caesar has finally agreed to run. Uh, he's he's admitted that like there's nothing more they can do. So they're going to just grab some stuff and then escape. But while Caesar is like grabbing stuff to, so that they can dispose of the bodies and then escape, Violet calls Corky next door to like give her an update. 
which is like a really nice conversation because there isn't a whole exchange where Violet is even like, I was scared you wouldn't be there. And mm. uh, Violet's like, uh, I mean, and Corky's like, if you, you know, if you don't quit on me, then I won't quit on you. And they have this whole exchange where, where Violet's like, I want to tell you something. I know, Violet. I know. It's why I'm still here. <laughs> That's so dramatic. Yeah, I love it. It's so dramatic. And I'm like, Han Solo, eat your heart out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Corky but, is very Han Solo-y. I'll give her that. Yeah. She is. It's true. But, but I, 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 was, I was just like screaming at her. He's in the next room. He can hear what you're saying. <laughs> Yeah, that and that does become an issue because yes. Caesar does walk in on the call. It's like, who and are he, you talking to? Yeah, he freaks out. He's like, "Are you? Did you call Mickey?" He like redials and uh, Corky like answers the phone, but then doesn't speak, and then like hangs up when she realizes it's Caesar. But then he redials again, and Corky doesn't answer. But the problem is, those walls are really thin, and the phone is ringing next door. Mm. So. Uh, Caesar figures out that it's a person in the next apartment that Corky that that Violet was calling, and so Caesar rushes over to to the next door to catch her. Or actually, no, Caesar like beats up Violet basically, and Corky rushes over to their apartment to try to save Violet, but then ends up also getting caught by Caesar. Yeah, so, because at this point he knows that okay, it was Violet and it was Corky that has uh, fucked him basically. Yeah, he's figured out the whole thing now. We get a whole bit after, like, Corky wakes up after having been knocked out where Caesar just does some homophobia at them, you know? (laughs) As you do, yeah. (laughs) I just have to, I just have to, uh, warning for slurs, but I just thought the whole delivery, Caesar's delivery of the line at the beginning there where he's like, wake up, you fucking dyke. (laughs) Really funny. Is his accent? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just the whole cadence of it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he says a bunch of shit like everybody knows your kind can't be trusted and like just just weird dumb okay, shit. Okay, Caesar. Yeah, sure. Okay, Caesar. <laughs> That's fine. But yeah. This is another scene though where Violet is just fucking cool as hell because <laughs> she's like tied up, sitting on the bed, like. Just mocking Caesar viciously. Yeah, just like, stop acting like an asshole. And yeah, so many good lines where where Caesar is like, "What did she do to you?" And Violet's like, "Everything you couldn't." <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's also interesting because you know uh, Caesar clearly feels a lot of ownership over Violet. Like he's very, you know, oh, I gave you everything, even nothing before I knew you, and how could you betray me for this uh, uh, random woman? Uh, but, I mean, obviously not in a way where he actually cares about her. He cares about her as something that's supposed to be his, like, as a thing, uh, not as a person. Um, yeah, And it's definitely. very clear from the way that conversation goes down. Yeah, absolutely. And that's part of why he had never considered her seriously as a threat before, or that she might be the mastermind behind all of this. Because even when she was like, even when uh, Caesar thought that Violet might have betrayed him, it was like, oh, because you've gone over to Johnny instead. And because now you're Johnny's property. It was never even entered his mind that it could be that Violet was the mastermind behind yeah, it. Yeah, she had know? her own motives and her own thoughts about things, you know. Exactly. But that's why she was invisible for so long was because mm. she, he did basically consider her like property. But... 
now that they've become visible, it's, it's going very badly for them, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, and we get the callback to the uh, the torture scene because, uh, yeah, he threatens, uh, yeah, he threatens Violet with, with uh, the same thing uh, um, as earlier. Uh, basically, that he's going to cut off her fingers uh, until he gets an answer about where the money is. Yeah, I feel like the, like having seen that really gross scene first, you know, it actually feels like a very credible threat in that moment. Oh yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, at this point, Corky does tell Caesar where the money is to like protect Violet. But also, like when Caesar like tries to kill her afterwards, she's like, "Oh, you can't kill me because I might be lying." It's like such a good line. Yeah, it's such a good line. It's like you can't kill me till you check for yourself because if I <laughs> lied to you about where the money is, you'd be screwed. <laughs> But so Caesar, uh, like at this point, then Mickey shows up at the door because the phone has been off the hook. So if when Mickey tried to call, no one was there. And Mickey's like thinks that these important mob guys have gone missing and like maybe the money also. So now Caesar has to panic because they have to try to convince Mickey that everything is normal. And he tries to get Violet to help him do it by like offering to like let her live or something if she does. And so they pretend that they were like having sex in the shower and that's why they couldn't respond to the calls or or the door knocks. And like of course they just buy it. They just believe it. The these new mob yeah. guys who have shown up. Uh but Mickey also like does seem kind of suspicious in some ways cuz he's like why do you move all the furniture around? What's yeah, that? yeah, yeah. Yeah, Is that because... also Violet's idea. <laughs> Because it, I mean, I, I was also like thinking during the cop scene that like, okay, uh, because basically what they've done is uh, like one of the um, uh, picture frames, uh, like the glass has been cracked. So he's just put a lamp in front of that. And it's like, yep. really obvious. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I feel like someone would notice this. Uh, so you are like sort of wondering at this point, okay, how much does uh, Mickey know? Because he does sound a bit skeptical. Yeah, definitely. So Violet then calls from the next room, which this part I think was really cool too, because yeah, Mickey is actually about to look in the case and find out there's no money. But Violet calls from the next mo- next room and Violet pretends to be Gino on the phone and talks Caesar through doing this whole thing where, oh, Gino Marzoni has actually called and they were in a car accident and they're in a hospital. And that's yeah, why that's they never why showed they didn't up. Come. Yeah, yeah. And so Mickey leaves to go to this hospital where theoretically everyone is. And Violet, during this whole thing, is like, okay, like, we can make a deal here. We'll split the money half half and half if you just do what I say to get rid of these guys and it'll all work out. But, of course, immediately after these guys leave, Caesar betrays Violet again and starts threatening to kill her. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously. Yeah. Because, I mean, because, I mean... uh He's still not seeing her completely as a threat as much as he should, but he is beginning to realize, you know, that she, she has uh, the... I mean, she's just shown how clever she is by doing that whole trick. Exactly. Um, so I think it, it goes back to the whole... Uh, he doesn't want to... Again, putting his ego over his survival and over, like, the rational option uh, because he doesn't want to be, the like, the one who got fucked, basically. Oh yeah, definitely. He his ego won't allow him to like even win halfway with with someone who tried to fuck him over. Like he's not gonna give any 
sort of leeway at all. He has to win it all or else get killed, which, you know, spoiler alert. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if that's how you play it, uh, that's, 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 you know. Yeah. But yeah, so at this whole time, Corky is sort of in the next room, has just woken up from being knocked out again and is tied up and is like trying to look for a way to escape. And then there's this whole bit that I think is actually really fun and cool. This is like a really dangerous gambit from Violet, but it works perfectly. Like it's so risky, but it's such a clever plan just immediately, which is that she runs away and she runs all the way down the stairs in this apartment building. So like really far down. And then while uh, Caesar is chasing her with a gun. And then as soon as she gets to the bottom, she gets in the elevator to go back up. <laughs> <laughs> but the elevator door closes before Caesar gets down there. So now Caesar has to run all the way back up the stairs. And Violet has a little bit of uh, space that she can work in while he's running up the stairs. And then in the phone, she uses what actually used to be what I think was Johnny's cell phone to call Mickey and to do this whole thing where she's like, like, Oh God, Mickey, he made me do it. I didn't want to do it, but Caesar forced me to do oh, it. It was I'm Caesar. So it was all Caesar. <laughs> yeah. I'm so innocent. And uh, in this whole situation. So then you they know, get back I'm, up. I'm, I'm just a pretty wife. Um, I'm just, uh, I could never think of anything like this. Oh. Exactly. Oh, I'm just a damsel in distress. Nothing. Yes. Mickey I, saved I, me. Mickey, please save me. I have no agency. Don't think that I have any agency. <laughs> but yeah, so then by the time they get back up, Corky has managed to use actually the pliers that uh, that Caesar was threatening to cut off Violet's fingers with to cut herself out of her restraints. So she's escaped and gone next door to try to get the money. But uh, Caesar now also, Caesar shows up there too. And like they get into a fist fight basically. And Corky loses. She gets knocked out. But then Violet shows up and has a gun. And again, this whole exchange is just Violet is just so fucking cool. <laughs> She's just so cool. Like she has this whole thing where, where she tries to get Caesar to run initially. She's like, you know, I've called Mickey. He's on his way back. If you want to live, you better start running. But Caesar, again, he just won't let it go. He doesn't know when to cut his losses at all. He like starts bragging about how Violet won't shoot him. And because like, oh, he knows her and he knows that she wouldn't shoot him. And it's like, oh, you don't like you won't shoot me because you don't want to shoot me. Right. You don't want to shoot me. Do you, Vi? You, I know you don't. And then Violet's like, Caesar, you don't know shit and <laughs> kills him. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> there's this extended shot of him dying in like this pool of white paint that's like so extra but so much fun (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i think that's the whole movie you know very extra very fun exactly exactly it just really goes for it it's so earnest in its ridiculous mob (laughs) thrillerness it's so much fun but yeah so then um you know um it comes back to him. Uh, I mean, even at this point, he's still seeing her. I mean, he has to sort of consent with the fact she's a friend now, but he's still seeing her as something, like as a thing that he knows. Uh, yes. And um, so I think, like, and like as as this, uh, you know, this very innocent uh, feminine woman that she likes to portray herself as, um, which is, I think, is why he's so convinced she won't shoot him. Yeah, absolutely. Because Violet 
really was very good at portraying herself a certain way to men. Mm. But uh, yeah, so Caesar Caesar bought that totally and it was not true at all. And Violet killed him. And it was cool and sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I also think like maybe, I mean, one of the, if she says basically, uh, if you were going to kill me, you would have done it uh, at this point, which I also think is, I mean, some of his like rootless mentality uh, where That's I true. think Violet doesn't, I mean, if she can avoid killing someone, she would rather not kill someone. Whereas Caesar is clearly not concerned with that at all. Yeah, yeah. He even has a line where he's like, I would have killed me by now if I were you. And it's yeah, like, yeah. that's because you're an extremely violent person, Caesar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like the, the fact she hasn't killed you isn't because she likes you. It's because she doesn't want to kill someone. I mean, Exactly. She'd rather avoid it if possible. But yeah. you've kind of forced her hand. So she's going to do what she has to do. Yeah, like she's always done. Exactly. But yeah, but then after this, so uh, at this point, they've essentially, they've won already. So it shows shots of like the fully renovated apartment. So it's like Corky finally finished her work in that apartment and it's like empty and cleared out now. Uh, No sign of like the blood or paint splatters or anything. And then there's a scene where uh, Mickey is talking to Violet and Mickey has essentially fixed everything for Violet. Uh, The police aren't going to get involved it's clear that Violet and uh, Corky must have hidden Caesar's body at some point because Mickey thinks that Caesar is on the run. He has a line about how like, oh, we'll find him. So the mob thinks that Caesar took the money and is on the run with it. So they're completely, again, in the clear because Mickey also sees Violet as like the the innocent woman who's invisible and just yes. like a side I character. Mean, and Mickey's interesting in that way because, I mean... I mean, obviously he's in, in the mob, so the whole, you know, playing nice thing is always going to be a spit suspect. But even if we take that for granted, it's still a very, you know, um, paternalistic sort of oh, way yeah. that he's nice. Yeah, it's extremely because paternalistic. He, because he's very nice to Violet, but he's also clearly has no interest in looking beyond this, her surface level. Yeah, he's very condescending. He's like, oh, she needs to be, like, protected and looked after and stuff. But she makes it clear that she's made a deal with Mickey to, like, get out. So, like, the mob isn't gonna have anything to do with her anymore. Yeah. And uh, so after this scene, uh, Violet puts on some sexy sunglasses. Yes, very good sunglasses. (laughs) Yes. And she goes to meet Corky. And a a fun detail in this scene is that uh, Corky has a new truck. (laughs) <laughs> and oh i didn't notice that <laughs> yeah oh they made it they make a thing of it early in the movie that she has like a really old truck but then in the yeah because in this final does, scene because yeah. of course she does because she's uh you know a butch lesbian so she must have an old truck that she's worked on but yeah in this last scene she has a new truck that she's clearly bought with the money it, which <laughs> violet like looks at it and quirky's like i thought we might need a getaway car you know mm. but then yeah in the car uh they get into like you know drive off to their new to their new world and uh corky has this great line that's a callback to the fight where like corky was like oh you know like every like we're just different and in this one uh corky says you know what the difference is between you and me violet and violet's like no and corky says me neither and then puts on her own (laughs) pair of sexy sunglasses (laughs) and then they drive off together it's so good it's so good (laughs) 
But yeah, they they get the money. They beat the mob. No one is suspicious of them. They just fucking leave together. They just get off scot-free. They end up together. They like have a big kiss at the end. They're in love. They have two million dollars from the mob and no one after them. And it's just beautiful and triumphant <laughs> and incredible. And their sunglasses are so cool. <laughs> 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 yeah, it, it's very much the opposite of a Kill Your Gaze movie. Oh, yeah. And it was it was interesting. G- give, your reading... da- g- give Your Gaze to $2 million, yeah. Yes, that should be, they should replace every Kill Your Gaze ending with Give Your Gaze $2 million. <laughs> <laughs> and they should also give me $2 million. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Where's my $2 million? <laughs> Honestly. I mean, I know no. I didn't have to fight them up for it or anything, but still. Yeah. No, but I think an interesting thing, again, from that essay that I uh, read in the thing, and I should actually get it out so I can properly attribute it. But yes, it's it's an essay by Guinevere Turner uh, called uh, We Know How This Ends. And part of what she talks about in the essay is how, like, you know, up till that point, a lot of the movies they'd seen, like even like Thelma and Louise, which isn't technically lesbian, but like is kind of feels like familiar feels lesbian like it ends with them driving off a cliff together is how Thelma and Louise ends it's like this very deliberate like and then they die ending and that's such a common ending for Mm. for gay movies especially at the time yeah yeah, and so like there's this part where she's talking about how even like uh seeing them get into that truck together at the end there's still that nervousness that like okay are they gonna like drive off a cliff now are they gonna (laughs) die here But then they don't. And it's like such a sort of a triumphant movie because it does so specifically and it feels like deliberately go against those tropes. And it's also, also because they are in so, so much um, danger throughout uh, the uh, second half of the movie. Oh, that, yeah. That, that, there are a lot of points that it could have gone very, very wrong for them. And so the fact that, uh, I mean, they it's not like they even uh, get injured or anything really that badly. I mean... So they just get out of it with, with, you know, completely triumphantly, as you said. Um, yeah. And, like, uh, it's sort of almost extra cool because it not only is, like, bucking the conventions of uh, gay cinema up to that point, it also is bucking the conventions of the noir genre because mm. it's absolutely not usually what happens at the end of this kind of thriller that the that the heroes get away with anything. Like, oftentimes these are tragedies, or like only one person gets away or people betray each other or like there's usually like the main characters don't get out unscathed in this kind of a film. No, no. And spe- and gay people don't get out unscathed in this kind of a film. So the fact that like yeah, it's two gay women making it like just completely scot-free out of all of this just with everything they wanted and it's it's just it's so good and it's it is unexpected. I think sometimes people can say that happy endings can be boring because they're like predictable. But this was an extremely unpredictable happy ending. And yeah, because it was very I mean, exciting. If, they had, if they had done this uh, as just, a, you know, completely t- a typical noir movie, but it's for lesbians, uh, then I think um, Corky would have been the main character throughout uh, and uh, Violet would have betrayed her in some way uh, or like there would have been some sort of uh, disagreement between them or something that meant they would part ways at the end of the movie. Yep, definitely. And even maybe at least one of them would have died. 
yeah. if it had been those classic tropes. But yeah, this completely goes against that. So it has this feeling of being like this really authentic feeling of being authentic to what like lesbians lives were life and all authentic to what lesbians lives were like and also authentic to the genre like it feels like a really earnest version of that kind of story but mm. also it subverts it in these really specific ways like in both cases that i think are it, i just think it's really cool i think it makes the movie so much better because of it yeah there's clearly a lot of intention to everything in the movie um also, I mean, in in, uh, in the scene where uh, Violet pulls a gun on Caesar uh, and ends up shooting him, it was also really interesting to see that kind of scene where, you know, again, the femme fatale gets to be the hero in that setup because it's, you know, it's a pretty usual uh, kind of scene to see, you know, suddenly the femme fatale pulls a gun uh, on the uh, male hero. Um, and to see this where, okay, she's actually, she's actually the heroic one in the setup is like in and of itself is very subversive. Oh yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that's true that I guess in in some ways a classic version of one of these a classic version of one of these movies might have been about Caesar. Like Caesar might have been the main character with the tragedy being that like his his femme fatale girlfriend betrayed him for for this lesbian. But <laughs> instead, yeah, Violet's the hero. Violet's the main character. Violet's the one saving the day and it's it's incredible. Yeah, again, it feels like, uh, you know, especially, I think, because we start out with getting Corky's outsider uh, perspective on um, on Violet and then going over to Violet the minute the actual plot starts. Um, it feels like it's a movie that saw all these movies uh, with femme fatales um, and said, okay, what's actually going on for this woman? Why is she doing this? Um, and said, okay, let's make that the main character then. Let's see what yeah uh, see what's going on yeah absolutely and it builds just such a couple of really cool characters out of both violet and corky i think and caesar is even a fun villain because you know you always gotta like a guy that's like really pathetic but also like extremely evil <laughs> <laughs> just completely unhinged <laughs> i mean yeah he just he just says a lot of funny things as well I mean, yeah, he does yeah. a lot of interactions with Violet. That's just like, oh my god! <laughs> and he's such a worm. It's so much fun to watch him lose everything and then die. <laughs> <laughs> he's the type of character who you really just want to, like, not only lose but also lose like so in such a humiliating manner. You know? Yeah, I mean, he is very much the character you'd love to hate. Yes, definitely. But, uh, so any other major thoughts on, on the movie, on uh, various themes or uh, stuff that I failed to highlight while going through it or anything like that? Mm, I don't think so. Um, you know, I think I was very preoccupied with the whole um, femme fatale aspect uh, when I was watching it again, because I was sort of watching for that... Um, you know, is there going to be some sort of twist or not? Uh, yeah, yeah. I definitely think this is the sort of movie that's fun to watch multiple times because, yeah, on the on that first watch through, you're really on the lookout for what the twist is going to be and for if they're going to die and for if Violet is going to, like, betray Corky and all this stuff. But then, yeah, watching through it a second time, 
you kind of you can let go of that anxiety and like see mm. more of the layers of what's going on with like the relationship and and also all sorts of stuff like that. I feel like uh, I mean on the first watch you have no idea what anyone's motives are. It's you know it's it's that very you know noir thriller sort of thing where you, you um, and then obviously when you know it it gives you a different perspective because then you know whether or not a, a character is being earnest in a given scene. That's true, yeah, which is really fun to watch. But yeah, okay, so in conclusion, basically, it's a really good movie. Uh, more people should have watched it by now. If you <laughs> haven't watched it yet, you should go watch it. <laughs> uh, it's available on uh, Amazon Prime to like rent, so it's not for free on there. You could probably also find it for rent other places or buy it on Blu-ray or DVD, but it's it's worth the... It's worth paying for. It's it's a good enough movie. Uh and and just a fascinating enough film in the in historical context mm. that I definitely think it's worth watching. Yeah, in in other gay cinema news before we sign off, uh there's a new like lesbian holiday movie on Netflix called Ooh. A Very It's called A New York Christmas Wedding is the name of it. And the, like, thumbnails and the little preview clip and the, like, description of it all makes it sound like your standard straight Hallmark <laughs> Christmas movie. It's not. It's 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 uh, two women falling in love. And it's kind of like a reverse It's a Wonderful Life plot. So it's, it's fun. It's like instead of uh, an angel coming to show you how much worse everyone else's life would be if you were dead... It's an angel coming to show you how much better your life would be if someone else was still alive. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fun. Yeah. It's it's very cheesy, but it's fun. So I recommend checking it out. Um, have you watched anything fun recently that you'd recommend to people? Um, not really. I've mostly been uh, gaming, to be honest. Um, That's fair. Which I wouldn't recommend. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you gotta, I mean, gotta stay away from that. Yeah, I mean, I've been playing Mass Effect, and that's not. If I mean, if you want gay content, that's not what you should be doing. No, that's very true. <laughs> Mass Effect is not the best game to play for for gay content. I mean, we but... did talk about how um, how it, uh, Bound is very deliberately not about a predatory lesbian, um, and we do have some predatory lesbians in uh, Mass Effect, so. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, so uh yeah, watch Bound, check out uh a New York Christmas wedding. Uh don't play Mass Effect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um and we haven't decided on uh, what the next movie we're going to watch and uh, talk about is. Um but we'll yeah. we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll pick something out. We probably, maybe we'll tweet about it ahead of time if people want to watch it before our next episode comes out. Uh, our current plan is to put up an episode every other week. So you should expect to hear from us again soon if uh, you're interested in listening to us talk about more gay movies. And uh, if you Which, want Which, why wouldn't to, you be? Why wouldn't you be? It, it is very much fun. Uh, if you want to like see more of what movies I've watched in the past, 
Uh, you can go on Letterboxd and search for Teddy's Gay Movie Reviews. That'll bring up my my review list where I track all of the many, many shitty gay movies I watch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Teddy. Okay, I actually have to check this. I'm actually not entirely sure what my Twitter URL is. Just a second. It's at mine, Teddy. Mine, yes, it's mine at is a pun in Danish, so that's going to be hard. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Mine is at Teddy underscore Stonehill. So you can find me on there. I'm currently working on writing a uh, lesbian isekai web novel. So you can check that out. You can find the links on my Twitter. And uh, where can they find you? Um, like I said, it's a pun in Danish. So I'm just going to spell it out. Um, uh, my Twitter is at uh, S-E-J-R-H-E-R-R-E. And uh, um, my portfolio website, because I do uh, I do art and uh, I do design, um, is at uh, sedr.net. So that's where you can find me. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Follow us on Twitter. Tweet at us about gay movies. We like talking about shit, so we'll probably <laughs> respond to you. <laughs> and uh, join us next time. Uh, I don't think we've decided on a sign-out phrase yet. Any good ideas? Stay gay. I don't know. <laughs> okay, that works. <laughs> uh, well, until next time, uh, stay gay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. We have decided it cannot be. I'm not for him and he's not for me. He can do what he wants and I'll do what I can. But the both of us have got to get our man.